Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy Game Week. Game Week. College football is back. College football is officially back. Uh, Dan, did you watch any of the proceedings from Week Zero? I watched, I'd say, I actually watched most of Wyoming and uh, New Mexico State, which wasn't a great game. I watched, you know, bits and pieces of the rest. Yeah, I, I tried to find UMass. I couldn't find them. I don't um, even know what channel that was on. Yeah, like I, I heard afterward it was on like one of the regional channels. So like, okay. But I couldn't find it. Like I was searching DirecTV. I couldn't find that. Um, I watched a bunch of uh, Jackson State and NCA&T. And then I watched a good portion of Hawaii and Colorado State too. And that was actually a really fun game. I tracked all of Colorado State Hawaii, because, but I could not watch because I was at home. And CBS Sports Network still does not have a, like, a Roku app or something where you can log in with a cable provider. So I had no way to watch that game in full, but I was like on Twitter. But the only match I got to see for real was uh, Wyoming. I, I think for me, I mean, Hawaii was impressive. I think the most fun part about Hawaii in general was that uh, helmet they trotted out. I'm not sure what took so long on that one. Um, having the, uh, the one side of the helmet be the Hawaiian Islands. Um, the other half being the traditional, you know, Rainbow Warriors H. Uh, I, I think that's probably a keeper. Um, great time to trot out some new uniform elements, even if it's something as simple as a uh, helmet design. Uh, wink, wink, Syracuse. Yeah, I really like the, the Hawaii helmets. Um, and it was weird to see them wait. I guess they were like kind of uh, in, not memorial because it hasn't happened yet, but like in preparation for the for the hurricane that's about to hit there, Hurricane Lane. But um, I don't think they had announced it at all until uh, until the their TV announcer uh, dropped him on Twitter and made a stir, and then they obviously ran out. And so yeah, those are pretty slick, and uh, definitely not not I wouldn't mind something along those lines. Obviously not color wise, but design wise for Syracuse. Yeah, for sure. Maybe like a New York State outline on one side and a block S on the other side. Yeah, I, I think don't go with like the full blue outline. Like maybe just do like literally like the outline of the state in blue on one side. Yeah, on on orange. I'd be I'd be a big fan of that actually. I think when we did the that forty four crest a couple of years ago, did was that was a one side thing, right? Mm. With the S on the other, or was that both sides? I don't remember. I like that helmet. I, I think it might have been both sides. But yeah, I, I I don't have enough don't have enough details on hand that I'd be able to find it quickly. So I, I'm gonna assume it was both sides for now at least. It seems like we're based on John Wildhack's statements, it seems like we're going to be getting some news on, on the new contract soon. That'll probably come September, October. Um, that probably doesn't mean anything for Syracuse football's situation this season, especially if it's not Nike. Um, then it definitely won't. But yeah, I'd love just like even some more interesting elements. Just try it out. We kind of, we've kind of exhausted all the possibilities now. Um, so I just feel like something unique, something different could be something least, not gray. Something, this is something that's definitely not platinum um, and actually looks like Syracuse. Like, finding new and creative ways to just, like, make us look a little more orange without being, like, completely gaudy. Like, the all-orange ones, I'm fine with them once a year. I don't need them more than that. But, but I think incorporating the orange uniforms more um, presents some cool possibilities for SU. Yeah, I think the only example of a school getting, like, full new uniforms and moving was Miami a few years ago when they were still with Nike. They got a full uniform rollout and then played the year and then switched to Adidas right after the season and then obviously got a full new uniform rollout. So I think we've already passed the possibility for that. Yeah, I think we're just at, at old threads only, which is, which is fine, I guess. Hopefully, 
Hopefully, I feel like we haven't even hit our rhythm with these jerseys. We've like used so many different combinations. We haven't even like found the ones that work well and used them a bunch. It's, we're still like excited when something looks decent, which is not a great way to describe our uniform situation. I, I, I've said before on the site, my, my only the one, only ones I like are the like orange lids with white jerseys and white uh, pants, and the traditional orange blue orange. And then I actually don't mind the blue, orange, blue, but I know that I, I'm I'm not I'm not speaking for everyone when when I point that out. I like the blue, orange, blue too. Basically, anything that like isn't like I don't know. I don't like all blue. I don't really like orange, blue, blue. It's just like I want orange to be a prominent color, even if it's not the jersey color. Right, completely. Like the, the orange needs to be prominently somewhere, and like even if you just fix the numbers a little bit. I think that would be. I mean, even on the. I, I hate the platinum uniforms, but I think even if you just made the numbers orange on those, they could be significantly better. The platinum, I think, are salvageable. It's just the the blue numbers on the gray jersey. It just is so dull and Looks it just like sucks. Georgetown. But I actually don't hate gray jerseys in general. It's just those are very bad. They're also not and our also, colors and, at all. Yeah, and also they're the color of our main rival. Um, not in football, but in life. So that's not great. True. Thank God. I think that we'll give everybody a respite from uniform talks. I feel like we could go for the entire episode on this very easily. <laughs> oh, yeah, Western Michigan. All right, bye. Yeah, you guys. Um, speaking of Western Michigan, the Broncos, uh, they trot in Tim Lester, um, along with some other former Syracuse uh, associates. I know Jake Moreland is, uh, I believe, he's in charge of the offense now over yeah, there. Yeah, he's, he's the full offensive coordinator now. He was co, and then their OC, I believe, left for Texas Tech. Yeah. So now Moreland is... Uh, I think Lester is actually calling the offense, though. That makes sense. And then uh, Tim Dowse is in charge of defense. The whole crew. Yeah, the whole crew. We got uh, we got Juwan Dowles. will be playing a little bit of corner for them, especially now that Sam Beal is gone. And then Stephen Clark won't be playing, but he's still associated with the program. I think he's... Is yeah, he a he, grad assistant now? Yeah, wasn't that the thing where he, like... Had his whole like crusade to get cleared here and couldn't get cleared, and then he went there and he was cleared, but now he isn't cleared. So yeah. I think he is a grad assistant, and that's you know hopefully all is well there. Yeah, agreed. And I, I think you know everyone's getting a little concerned about the a repeat of last year's Middle Tennessee situation. I think the one reason why it could be worse is because Lester probably knows Dungey better than anybody except his parents, Babers, and his college, and his high school coach. Uh, that said. Lester and the I've rest watched of the Tim Lester recall an offense before, so <laughs> yes, <laughs> not super concerned. <laughs> so there's also that. It's also I, I even I, I talked to the, one of the Western Michigan bloggers, and I, I the Q and A will pop up later this week. But I even asked him like, I don't know if you're familiar with with Tim Lester's Syracuse offense, but it seems like Western Michigan's offense is much better. What what exactly is different here? So that's what's that's what the big question mark for me is because in my my hours and hours of research this morning, Western Michigan basically ran the Fleck offense last year. They didn't want to transition to a new offense in the first year Which is year exactly what we did with Lester. <laughs> so, he, well, then they had, they had Kevin Johns there, who was the old OC. Right. And he left for Texas Tech, where he's now the OC. So now Lester's calling plays. But it sounds like they kind of implemented a full new system this year, if I'm reading things correctly. So... I don't know that Western Michigan... I assume he'll incorporate a lot of what was working with Fleck because he has those players and it was working really well. They won 13 games two years ago and were pretty decent last year. But, like, it's easier said than done. Yeah, I, I mean, that's going to be the big key. Like, last year, the only reason they didn't make a bowl game last year was, uh, well, A, because of bowl tie-ins for the MAC. They finished 6-6, six and six, didn't make the postseason. And B, 
because they lost their quarterback for the last, I think, four games of the season. Uh, yeah, and then they got they got beat up pretty good in, the, in like the the key games down the stretch, but mm-hmm. they were missing their quarterback, who's pretty good. Yeah, so uh, we'll, we'll we'll get into all those roster uh, shakeups and things like that. But first, I did want to get into Syracuse's roster. Dan, there's been a lot of uh, I wouldn't say a lot of change, but there's been a reasonable amount of change that's worth discussing here uh, because. Some of the things we thought we knew, uh, we didn't. In particular, our defensive alignment, which, sure, whatever. <laughs> I laughed pretty hard when I saw this this morning. <laughs> I don't even care. Like, D- Dino's proven that he's that, that he'll troll the shit out of everybody, and like this is just this is either just adjusting to the format um, and, and the opponent, or it's just Dino deciding like, let's see what happens if I just make everybody forget about how bad the defense was down the stretch. And just talk about a, a new alignment that they can't even like quantify because they haven't seen us run it yet. Ultimately, I don't know if it's a big deal because you can just roll out this four-three depth chart and still run nickel yeah. uh, like seventy percent of the time if you want. And I we we you know we talked about it last week. We assumed there would be three linebacker packages. Yeah. So it wasn't this isn't like a huge mind blowing. And these thing. are the three linebackers we thought would be in those three linebacker right. packages. It's just very funny to see like we've spent about a month talking almost every week about what the nickel as the primary defense will be like, and that still may be the case for all we know. I think it might depend on matchups more than anything, but it is funny to see the first depth chart of the year and it's reverted all the way back. And I'm like, all right, well, I guess, I guess this is what we're doing now. Yeah. I mean, honestly too, like that it's interesting because like, if there's one player I said, I, I said like that was, there was a reserve that needed to be on the field. Uh, it was probably Andrew Armstrong um, in, in the four, two, five setup. So I feel like here that rectifies that. However, I still it bumps. I still, it's you're, you're trading Andre Sisto for Andrew Armstrong, yeah. which it's hard to know what that means because yeah. we haven't seen Andre Sisto play, and we've barely seen Andrew play, admittedly. Right. Um, I do think it is interesting to see the the Andrew Armstrong Ryan Guthrie uh, arrangement to still be weak side and, and middle. Um, but I guess if you are going to run the four two five, and, and I think you and I both think they will a bit, and a lot of others do as well. You don't want to necessarily have Guthrie um, playing two different positions depending on the uh, the alignment. So d- despite the fact that I think Armstrong's probably the better fit at middle and Guthrie's probably the better fit at weak side, um, I'm, I'm I'm fine with this. Yeah, no, it's definitely what makes sense. And moving uh, in the 4-3, moving Cordy back to free safety, I think makes the most sense. So none of it's super, super surprising, I don't think. Like I said, I think that the, the biggest thing was really just the, the fact that we decided to, to, to scrap it, at least for game one, was funny. A um, couple other notes. Um, minimal or designations. Uh, just a handful on kickoffs. Nolan Cooney or uh, did we decide how Andre... Uh, I'm going to go at Zmit. As we... uh, is, there a, is there a pronunciation guide? I assume there would there, be. There probably isn't the media guide, but I don't have that PDF on hand. Um, Look. Yeah, I know there's. Smith, Smith makes the most sense. It does. I think uh, there's the or next to Matt Keller. I think we we figured that maybe. I know Baber said last week that he was ready to go, um, but this just presents the possibility that the uh, the true freshman walk on Aaron Belinsky goes. Um, I'm really hoping Keller can go. Um, if Keller was going to miss a game, I'd much rather it was Wagner. Um, I mean, I, I think Belinsky is going to end up taking over the job next year anyway but I'd, I'd rather i'd rather wait and, and have our you know former three-star slash best long snapper in the country uh recruit 
continue on his uh, on his merry way as he's he's been an unsung part of, of the improved special teams play in particular on this team yeah uh, I think I mean I, we talked about last week our special teams last year rated pretty well and outside of the long field goals which honestly are are as much decision making as they are ability right. um, especially in the college level everything else is pretty at punt returns punt returns were basically a non-factor um, but everything else is like really strong last year and we return a lot of those guys um, and obviously moving off that kicker as well as punter uh, so hopefully we can kind of keep all that up and and find those like little solutions for a more appropriate times to attempt field goals over forty yards, yeah. depending on what Hoffert's abilities are, and b uh, finding some way to get a little more out of the punt return unit. Although you know if there's one thing that you have to, uh, for lack of a better word, punt on out of like the special teams, I'll take like being safe on punt returns. But ideally, you want to be able to get some yards there. Yeah, I mean, because then you don't want teams being able to pen us back. There are a decent amount of solid punters in the ACC. Yeah, I'd like to see us do a little bit there, but honestly, like, I'm really focused in on the kicking game. I think that Hoffrichter showed that he had had some leg last year. I don't think he's going to be as accurate as Cole Murphy was as, at his peak. I don't really expect him to have 50-yard range right off the bat, but, you know, hopefully we're just finishing drives better, too. I mean, finishing drives is something that Syracuse did terribly these last couple of years, and that's why we had to test Murphy so much. So I think with Hoffrichter, especially when it comes to keeping his confidence, both as a kicker and really as a punter, the, the underrated side effect of if things don't work out for Hoffrichter right away, what happens to him as a punter? I, I'd like to see his, his range limited to like 40 to 45 max early, just so we can keep his confidence up. And again, hopefully we're just punching into the end zone more and this becomes a non-factor. Yeah, slash giving ourselves good situations to like, you know, if it's a fourth and, you know, three on, uh, you know, at the 35-yard line versus a fourth and eight. Right. Yeah, that, that, that would absolutely be ideal. A um, couple other things quick. Offensive line stays exactly the way it was at media kickoff. I'm really excited about that. I know you are as well. Um, also interesting to see Carlos Federello uh, get himself into the uh, second spot at left tackle. Having no uh, Michael Clark over there is, I guess, one interesting, albeit, like, not necessarily huge development, if only because of the fact that, like, you know, SU's not necessarily going to cycle in these linemen much, so we might not see much of or or any of these second-tier guys until we get to, like, garbage time in some games. Yeah, if Conway was to go down, I kind of assumed we'd see either Patrick Davis move over to left tackle or Toto Martin move to left tackle and Patrick Davis slide up. But it is interesting because he was one of the guys, one of the few names that pops up here that we weren't seeing before. Yeah. Um, tight end Chris Elmore is listed with an oar along with Aaron Hackett as the second tight end behind Ravian Pierce. Uh, I find that interesting too. Since I think that's probably like a, I think that's probably like a placeholder for like fullback slash because we don't have a fullback spot. Right. Yeah, I mean, I would have thought that he would be a little bit more uh, allocated to the defensive side of the ball, but if Josh Black and Kenny Ruff are both healthy, um, I could see them both having a little bit of, a, of an inside track there. Also worth, worth noting, uh, Nikeem Johnson not on this depth chart. Um, Dino Babers had mentioned that he was a little injured last week. Um, losing him in Game 1, and hopefully that's not the case, would really be a bummer uh, just because of the, the speed he has. Obviously, again, like, None of these receivers are overly um, experienced just yet, but some of the names that we had mentioned uh, last week uh, making an impact here. Uh, Sherrod Johnson gets the uh, what looks like the inside receiver role behind Sean Riley. Um, Cameron Jordan gets the nod behind Jamal Custis, who looks like he'll be on the outside despite working out on the inside for a lot of the offseason. And then Devin Butler gets that uh, start on the outside. Along Taj Harris, the true freshman, you know, over on the other outside spot, 
definitely a little surprising to see Harris there um, versus some of the other redshirt freshman players who potentially slide in, in in that position. Yeah, I think we've I feel like we've heard more about Taj Harris the last couple of weeks, so it does seem like he's kind of an ascendant player in practice at least. Works for me. I figured him or uh, or Anthony Quayley. I feel like I heard a lot about those guys. A little surprising not to see Russell Thompson Bishop in there. Admittedly, I feel like we hear like a lot of really big things about Thompson Bishop, and then like things go quieter for a little bit. I know in general, like the way Babers runs the ship there too. Like uh, everybody's pretty tight-lipped about freshmen in particular um, and guys who haven't seen the field yet. So, and Babers himself really only addresses a, a couple players. I feel like a year in terms of like directly by name. So uh, no surprise, we haven't heard a ton about all these guys, but I do feel like um, hopefully in the Western Michigan game, but definitely in the Wagner game, uh, we're going to end up seeing a lot of these guys and seeing you know what they can uh, what they can provide. Yeah, and as we've seen, especially the receiver position, like in the last couple of years, like guys will come in and out. So I think a lot of it, uh, especially below, like the first couple, of the the more proven guys, if you can say any of them are. Um, at their spots, like it really depends on who's impressing in practice or where we think the matchup and efficiencies are and whatnot. Agreed, agreed. Um, so looking at Western Michigan's roster a little bit, um, at least as, as of this recording, they haven't yet released their depth chart, but I'm looking at what was at least an earlier depth chart for them uh, right now. Uh, the big quarterback that we na- mentioned earlier, uh, John Wasink, um, he'll be the starter once again. Uh, Zach Tartle took over from last year. Wasink was pretty impressive, again, like running somebody else's offense, admittedly, but, you know, I- impressive enough. Uh, I know Jamari Bogan, um, the senior running back, uh, he's smaller, kind of scat back type guy. He's 5'7", 188. He's going to be somebody to watch. SU's gotten really carved up by guys like that of late, um, so that is definitely something to keep an eye on. The one good thing, obviously, is, as we mentioned last week, um, SU's pretty good um, on the interior part of the line and stopping the run. Um, in particular, Chris Slayton is, I'd argue, one of the top 7 to 10 in that category um, in the ACC, but that also might be some bias talking. They also returned four out of five starters on the offensive line and three receivers. So this offense, whatever it may look like, um, does have the, the type of experience needed uh, to at least test SU early on. The one guy who... Uh, for those who follow recruiting at all, who's kind of a wild card here, and I don't know if we should expect anything from him at all, but his name caught my eye is Matt Falcon, who's on the running back depth chart, who was a four-star commit or a four-star recruit and was a Michigan commit once upon a time and then ended up like having one of those weird things where he decommitted and ended up at Western Michigan and signed there. And I don't know if he's really made much of an impact, but uh, he definitely had you know a lot of uh, potential back in the day. I think he kind of fell through the, the Power 5 cracks, but... He's been at Western Michigan for a few years now, so I do wonder if he's kind of starting to find himself in college because uh, I don't think he's really done much so far. Yeah, I mean, we'll see how much they uh, utilize kind of a couple of running backs in this system. I, I do feel like, I mean, based on all the promotional stuff I've seen too, it does seem like, you know, Western Michigan really is kind of uh, riding on Bogan. There's definitely some guys that got a decent amount of work. Um, I, I know in general, like, this offense should look pretty good. Um, but again, it really depends on like what SU can do. Like Dwayne Eskridge, their <laughs> leading receiver is back. Um, hit 30 catches for 506 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, he's probably their most capable deep threat. Um, Keyshawn Watson's back. Anton Curtis is back. Watson had the most receptions at 41 yards, but he's definitely more of like kind of your slot type. 
had seven scores as well. Curtis, uh, 18 catches, 211 yards, zero touchdowns, however. They're they also to- return a lot of offensive line experience. Yeah. As mentioned, four out of five starters. So that's definitely going to help them out a ton um, this year. But it's also going to help balance out things on the other end for Western Michigan. They don't really return much on defense at all. Um, I've got just three starters here. Sam Beal was originally going to be back, um, then decided to go the supplemental draft route. He was going to be, I believe, ineligible for some part of this season anyway. It sounded like there was some academic stuff, but yeah. it was kind of unclear. But it, like there was there was a, a reason he left, obviously, because he was like a borderline first-round pick guy. Yeah, so he ended up, I believe, was picked by the Giants. Um in the supplemental draft. So losing a guy like that, I mean, yes, they'll be able to plug in Cordy, not Cordy, sorry, um, Juwan Dallas, uh, to fix that. However, like, we still don't necessarily know, um, you know, what he's going to be able to do for them and how fast he's going to be able to adapt to the system. Granted, it's the system that he was recruited to play in to begin with, so one would think that he'd be able to jump in at least a little bit quicker than most players. But... Western Michigan was, at least in terms of raw yardage per game, uh, ranked 55th, so about middle of the pack, um, allowed 381.5 yards per game. I'd say fairly even for the most part, run versus pass, probably about another 400 yards uh, allowed through the air and then on the ground. Um, I think that it, without Beal, it's probably going to be a little more problematic uh, for them. So I'm, I think against a team like Syracuse that, prefers to throw as much as possible, especially, you know, with a, the run game that we, we may or may not have some improvement from. Um, that could be a really good sign for SU as, as we look at this matchup and what the Orange are able to do to this uh, this Western Michigan secondary. Yeah, I think we'll, we'll learn a lot. This is like it, it, a very new unit and one that I think should be pretty raw, especially after Beal left as he was going to be kind of a linchpin and keeping the, the progress that they made last year. And also, we, we talked about, I think, the, the coaches knowing our players is probably a bigger factor, but we are also have plenty of experience, um, at least our guys, and and also our coaching staff watching, just scouting our team when they took over to know, like, what this defense looked like. Yeah, and to be honest, like, and it's not to single out uh, Dowell's just, just on his own, but, like, s- same as he knows the tendencies of some of these players on the SU offense from – you know, their time on the same roster and same goes with defense. Like, also, you can say the same thing about the Syracuse players um, and, and the Syracuse coaches, um, that they know a lot about Dallas and what he's capable of and his, his, his pluses and minuses. So I could see SU definitely going after Dallas early, at least to test, like, what, what he can do and, and, and how much he, he may have improved from his time at SU. Yep. And even just, like, whenever Babers took over um... – he obviously like hit the hit the tapes and just to get a sense of his own team, but in doing that, like he saw what this defense was doing with uh, or the steam wise, and obviously Dallas, I imagine, is pretty similar to what Schaefer, uh, what Schaefer's defenses were like here at Syracuse. So um, I don't think it'll be too unfamiliar. Yeah, and, and and like that's the like I mean you you and me are not gonna you know put our heads in the sand and pretend that that there's nothing worth worth being concerned about here because of the familiarity, but. Like you just said, like that familiarity does go both ways. You know, last year, Western Michigan had just 21 sacks um, in 12 games. Uh, that should remind people a lot of kind of what was happening at the end of the Schaefer era. Where we really weren't getting after the, the ball at all. So that's something worth keeping an eye on because if they can't generate pressure against Syracuse, then Dungy's going to have a lot of time to throw and a lot of time to make plays. 
They did generate some turnovers, though. Um, and I, I think that the key will be, you know, Dungy just avoiding that. Uh, they had 10 picks last year, which pretty good. But again, assisted by having an NFL-ready guy like Beal. So we will see. I think uh, I think we'll, we'll have some predictions later on in the show. But I, I, I do like what we're I do like what we're seeing at least early. And I know that you know you and me both picked SU to win this game, albeit by uh, a smaller margin when we uh, when we talked game by game win loss. Uh, numbers last week yeah I, i'm still trying to feel about the same way i did last week you know i think west Michigan's a pretty solid mac opponent but overall like we we should we should handle our business here agreed agreed uh let's talk a little halftime before we uh before we get into the rest of this week's kind of overview stuff and, and any lingering kind of off-season stuff worth diving into cool um i took it easy this weekend and honestly i think this is the first beer i'm having in a couple in in about a week i'm currently drinking a uh, troublesome jellyfish from Fifth Hammer in Long Island City, so pretty pretty light for me. Nice. I mean, it's definitely worth t- keeping it a, a little lighter before football season starts. It's going to be a, an yeah. eventful fall. It's also you know, the, the holiday weekend coming up, so I'm sure that will end. True. Um, for me, uh, I mentioned last week that I'd gotten a crowler of that uh, X1 Pale from uh, Firestone. Still very good. Um, I had a Spelt Saison. It was a Honey Saison from Celador. Uh, over the weekend, and then also had some Stone Scorpion Bowl IPA that came back on the shelves, so grabbed some of that. I uh, was out to dinner on Saturday night and had some different whiskey, um, changing it up a little bit. It was a place with a lot of rich food, so I didn't want to... I like I, While I love beer and I'll always have beer with, with, with dinner, I did feel like didn't want to get overly full on, on beer when I could when I could sip some whiskey and, and then get the full enjoyment out of, out of all the, the, the food that was coming my way, so... Good decision on my part. I feel I, I am also I'm also ready to to kind of ratchet it back up a little bit for the uh, for the holiday weekend coming up in still still a matter of days from now. Just because we're uh, we're recording earlier than normal this week. Yeah, should be a, should be a good time. I'm very I definitely had my my taste buds wet by the couple games we saw last weekend for like a full a full slate. Pretty excited. Yeah, it, it was a nice appetizer. I uh, I, I was glad to see it, and now. Uh, now we move on to you know the the real show, Dan. What uh, what are the games you're really looking forward to besides Syracuse this week? And obviously SU plays on Friday. So, um, being that you're in college football media to a much greater extent than I am, what is the uh, what are the couple games that you've got your eye on and you're kind of circling for uh, for Saturday's action? Um, I think the best individual matchup is pretty clearly Michigan Notre Dame. Um, it is in South Bend and not at an annoying neutral site. It's a rivalry game. We have Shea Patterson uh, playing his first game at Michigan. Uh, you have to see if Notre Dame's kind of figured out how to make their offense work with uh, Brandon Wimbush any better, which is a real question. I'm really excited for Oklahoma FAU. Uh, we've talked a lot about FAU oh, yeah. on this pod. Um, OU obviously has a new quarterback in Kyler Murray moving on from Baker Mayfield, and I think they have some, some bigger question marks than people are letting on. I think we discussed that at length in our Big 12 pod. FAU is very good, um, and Lane Kiffin is obviously, you know, I don't know how long for, for Boca Raton he is, and if he wins this game or comes close, like that could only uh, ratchet that up. Um, going down the schedule, there's some other phones. Ole Miss, Texas Tech should be fun if you like points. I imagine there will be a lot stored in that one. Auburn, Washington is... Uh, pretty big cultural playoff ramifications off the bat. It's probably my game of the week, to be honest, even more so than the Michigan-Notre Dame. Yeah, I think if this was being played in Auburn or in Seattle, I'd be more excited about it. The the, yeah. the 
neutral side games just like deflate like it takes something away um but it's a top 10 matchup so you're, you're not you're not gonna you know give that away at all other than that like you know louisville louisville alabama's i think gotta be a route um Oof. that's gotta get ugly yeah i'm vaguely intrigued to see what nebraska looks like in game one under stuff ross we're playing akron who has a pulse the last couple of years so you know might might give a little resistance I want to see. I say I want to see what what Tennessee fans do after West Virginia routes them. That'll be fun. Uh, <laughs> where is that game? Uh, that is at Charlotte. Okay. Um, so it should be. I, I bet there'll be more. Well, I think it'll probably be probably sixty forty Tennessee. If I had to imagine, like uh, not store but crowd. Um, eh, no, I'll give them seventy thirty. Just if only because like I don't know how much WVU fans care about this game or care about going to Charlotte. Yeah, um, and then uh, Miami LSU should be a lot of fun on Sunday, and then Florida State Vatech on Monday. So we have some really fun one-off teams uh, throughout the weekend as well. Boise Troy, that should be, that is a good one. That should be a really fun one. That's really it in terms of like, well, Middle Tennessee Vandy could be entertaining. SMU North Texas could too. There's a there's a lot of potentially fun games uh, after Hawaii's smart showing in, in week one. Kind of well, week zero. Kind of want to see what they do in week one, hosting Navy. That should be a fun one. We weren't expecting Hawaii to be a contender, but they went. I mean, Colorado State narrowed it down at the end, but Hawaii looked great. Like they looked really, really good. Yeah, that offense looked good. They were aggressive. Um, it was a lot of fun. Excited to see Khalil Tate again, even against a bad BYU team. Maybe especially because it's against a potentially bad BYU team. Um, also to see what someone does with him, like to see how different it is from what what they were doing with him last year. Like yeah, maybe there's actually a plan this time around. Which, which would be ideal. Um, and then, yeah, Virginia Tech, Florida State to close out the weekend. Uh, that should be a fun. I know you and I talked about that game before, just kind of a measuring stick for, you don't want to overreact to week one, but it's a good measuring stick to see where those teams are kind of headed um, overall. But, yeah, in general, I, I do really like this schedule. I'm, I'm very concerned by the amount of ESPN Plus logos next to these names. They're pushing it, man. Ugh. They're really pushing it. I'm gonna have to spend this money, aren't I? It's like what's it five five a month? Yeah, but I already spent a lot. Yeah, once I finish up my cord cutting, then I will. Then then I'll feel much better about that. I haven't committed yet, but I, I kind of feel like it's gonna come soon. Like I think ESPN is the gambit is is starting to pay off for them. They're getting way more stuff on there. Yeah, they're definitely putting a lot on there. I think right now, as soon as I finish up the cord cutting and move to like a Directv Now situation, instead of just like the Directv Satellite. Uh, that'll get my costs way down. Um, just need to make sure that I can still get all the regional networks on on my my current cord cutting setup. That is available. What they need to, to do, with, what they need to do with the ESPN Plus is buy out all those Hawaii games that are on at like two a.m. and then the the diehards who stay up all night on Saturdays will will have to have to spend the money. Diehards like like myself who stay up admittedly three hours less late. But, uh, but but nonetheless, do get themselves uh, some of those Hawaii games. And really, I like... Kakalua stands. I, I mean, th- th- those are a lot of fun, to be honest. Especially, like, at the end of the night when you don't care. But, yeah, like, I, I, I want to watch UAB Savannah State. So, like, why, why, why shut me out from that? ESPN. <laughs> Ohio Howard. Miami, Miami, Ohio Marshall. That's, a, that's an all-FBS matchup. That's on there. Charlotte and Fordham. Charlotte's probably going to lose that game. There's yeah, there's a lot of fun games here that I want to watch. Scrolling through, I I can't wait to bet on UTSA plus eighteen and a half at Arizona <laughs> State because we know every UTSA is never actually good, 
but they always have one game early in the year where they either beat or come very close to beating a, a much better team. And Arizona State could be a disaster, and they should not be 18.5-point favorites over anyone, I don't think. No. So I know Randy Wilkins is pretty good. I, I'm probably going to bet UCSA with the points there. Wait, what's the line? Is there a line on Kansas Nichols? Nope, not, not, not via ESPN. Maybe, some, maybe someone has it. Because uh, that, that would be enticing. Who's Nichols? I, I, you know, I, I would take Nichols. <laughs> I take straight Nichols, up? I take Nichols straight up. Usually you'll find someone taking bets for those, but they pop up late. I just think Nichols has the talent pipeline at this point. Like, no, they're not amazing, but uh, they they're, they're one of those schools that gets all the all the transfers, right? Yeah, they get all the transfers, and like, I mean, they got a bunch of the uh, early last chance U kids. Um, so I, I, I think Nichols could potentially test Kansas because, to be honest, if Kansas loses that first game, uh, coaching change time. There, there, there's no way. If they lose to Nichols, he'll be out by the end of the month. Maybe yeah. early. I mean. End of the month is being generous too. I, I think they'll give him to Labor Day. I, I think I think that he'll be out, like at the end of the game. That's funny, maybe. But moving on to to more and less funny things, some might have noticed on Monday the uh, the first quest for Gasparilla uh, rankings went up. Um, not really rankings, I guess, but just a, a a log of of where people see us playing um, in bowl games. A lot of publications said no bowl game. Um, Athlon, we already kind of took that apart a while back. Um, Athlon said no bowl game, but also said Syracuse had finished six and six. That's virtually impossible at this point for a Power Five team to go six and six and not make a bowl. Be sure to read that article if you're if you're looking for for the kind of deep dive into why that wouldn't happen. Um, but the Athletic sees us in the San Francisco Bowl against USC. Um, that would be us kind of backfilling because no one from the Big Ten could fill that spot. Uh, that seems unlikely just because the ACC has so many backfill spots. But um, if it happens, great, because it's a six-hour or so drive from me. Not that I'd potentially be able to go, given the impending childbirth. But, you know, it's we, we can dream. Maybe I end up in Santa Clara for a for a impromptu New Year's Eve situation that seems logistic. filled stadium. Yeah. It seems logistically impossible because it's New Year's Eve and getting a hotel even for a night is going to be an astronomical cost. Uh, and USC will fill the place just because of proximity and size of fan base. Oh, I, do you actually think USC would fill the place if they were playing in the San Francisco Bowl in Syracuse? I do not. See, here's the, the <laughs> thing is like, like LA, fa- LA USC fans wouldn't go up, but every USC fan in the Bay would, would go. Yeah, but wouldn't that portend USC having a pretty shitty season? Well, yeah, the Athletic has them going like eight and four. Yeah, see, I just feel like that fan base—they're not like Miami fans, but I feel like I can't imagine like yeah, them putting a real dent in that stadium, which is never full for that game. Yeah, they're, they're, they're uh, probably just gonna spend that money on like Rams playoff tickets. <laughs> or or, or Chargers. Yeah, or they, yeah, right. Or they've already spent the money on on the uh, the Lakers season tickets. And they're, they're eight LeBron jerseys. And, yeah, they're eight LeBron jerseys. Um, half of which are to burn in effigy, you know, to support Kobe. But then they have backups for when he's good. Yeah, and then, well, although, n- you know, nobody can get them right now because they uh, the Lakers decided that as a fan promotion situation. Have you seen this online where, where they've been giving they've been giving 23 different LeBron jerseys out to people, like fans? The problem is they're giving them to, to the biggest celebrity fans in L.A.? So like this isn't like some like cute fan giveaway thing where like like oh like look at these like lifelong fans and, and, and nonsense like they get this jersey they're literally like oh like 
Adam Levine got one, like Yasiel Puig got one, like Jared Goff and like Todd Gurley got one. So basically this is the Lakers going, hey, we're taking the city back over and not like, oh, hey, this is some fan outreach situation. I get that if you're like the Rams who just out there or like LAFC or something like that. You're the Lakers. You don't need any help. To be honest, though, the Lakers have been dead to this city for like the last five years. Yeah, but Le- Le- signing LeBron at all, I think, is going to do it. Right. I don't think they need to like remind people they did it. <laughs> I-, I would also agree there. Not that I'm there, like, you know better than me, but, like, it just seems like kind of a desperation move where, like, I could see, like, you know, a new franchise. Like, even the Rams, who are, you know, you still have to sell an NFL team because they haven't had one forever. The Lakers, like, Lakers will bounce back. It took 24 hours for, like, fake LeBron Laker t-shirts to start popping up around here. Oh, yeah. The, The fake, the, like, instant fake shirt market is, like, a fascinating thing. It's so fast. Yeah, and, like, especially here where, like, everybody like is ready to go like like when you're driving in on the freeway to dodger stadium like there's fake like there's fake stuff being hawked on the freeway like people do not mess around it's similar here like anytime there's a big concert at barclays or msg there are people peddling like clearly like fake shirts for literally any any event it's it's miraculous i i give them props but uh yeah so, so so that's my thoughts on the san francisco bowl um sb nation had two different picks uh, quick lane against Purdue or quick lane against Army. Um, I don't want to face Army just because I really don't know what we'd do against that option. I feel like Purdue would be fun for me personally. A friend of mine went to Purdue. I feel like just give each other some shit um, on the way up to it. But yeah, th- th- those are the three main publications predicting bowls for us right now. Um, I feel like quick lane is almost definitely going to happen this year, though, Dan, unless we like, unless we finish. Better than six and six, which seems unlikely. I, I think that the quick lane is probably uh, where we're headed. It feels like we've been like kind of flirting with the quick lane bowl for so long. It's going to happen at some point soon. Um, I wish we could get out of that bracket and get bumped up to like the military bowl. I think that'd be ideal. But you know, at this point, you don't you don't take too many qualms with like whatever bowl we get. Yeah, I, I think in general, SU fans are going to have to be at least until we elevate ourselves past like seven wins in the regular season is you're going to have to be okay with, like, the quick lane military uh, pinstripe rotation. And, like, is, is the three games that we're most likely to end up in, especially because, like, the ACC and the bowl organizers want these games to be a little bit better attended. So that means more regional focus, obviously, with so many games um, in the North Carolina area and the Florida area and a lot more teams in that area, SU, BC, Louisville to some extent, um, Pitt, um, kind of get the short end and, and end up in a, a small collection of bowl games. I, I look forward to our day finally becoming true ACC, uh, a true ACC school and making the Belk Bowl. Oh, I, I, I won in the Belk Bowl so bad just because I, I enjoy the Belk Bowl Twitter feed so much. And, and I just... It's, it's just it's just ideal. Like, it's not that much better than, like, the Pinstripe Bowl in terms of... Well, actually, it's like kind of a riser, isn't it? It's kind of moved up the... Belk Bowl is in the same general area. I think they're in the same band, as the uh, pinstripe, but I feel like the belt bowl has been like getting better and better. T- I mean, last year was, you know, a pretty good week, and and um, like I feel like they've been getting better matchups as the years have gone on. They do. There's more interesting matchups. Well, the ACC is also getting better as the years have gone on. That that also makes sense. I remember like what was it that A and M Duke game back in 2013? Or was it 14? Was that the belt bowl? That I'm almost positive with the Belk Bowl. The Johnny Manziel, uh, yes. like awesome New Year's, New Year's Eve game? Yes. Yeah, was that Belk? I thought that was a bigger bowl, but you might be right. Nope, you're right, Chick-fil-A. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. Duke played in the Chick-fil-A Bowl. Jesus Christ. They were good. 
I know they were good. I remember when I was still covering like the ACC a lot more than just like Syracuse in general. I remember how good they were. That was a fun because that was that was the year before I had seen Duke at Stanford just get like the doors blown off them. So it was just it was very and also Duke at Stanford is like the most like entertaining uh, like college football crowd you'll ever see. <laughs> Just a lot of people who are not usually at college football. Yeah, just like everybody in polo and khakis. It's just a Spider-Man meme, but one's a blue Spider-Man and one's a red Spider-Man. Exactly. With yeah. a basketball. Yeah, I... Uh, with I, a basketball jersey, to be more accurate. Dude, I bought tickets that morning, and they were $10 a piece, and I was sitting at the 25-yard line, two rows back, at the farm. That's wonderful. And this was, I think, the year after Andrew Luck. But so that, that, that's my fun Stanford. I mean, yeah, that team went twelve and two. Sorry, this is a, this is another one of those those random tangents that we're now deep. Yes, that was that was the game. Fifty to thirteen was the final. Uh, we left like in the third quarter because this this thing got ugly. <laughs> but but it was fun, and, and the farm's actually a lot of fun uh, when Stanford's good, which has been a lot lately. That was the Tyler Gaffney team. They had like it was Tevin Hogan, Tyler Gaffney. Um, Barry Sanders' son. Oh, Stefan uh, Taylor was... Uh, yes. That was his team, too. Yeah, it was Daphne and Taylor were the main backs. That was a good team. Yeah, that was David a good team. David Yankney on tackle. I saw a lot of fun Stanford games, to be honest. Um, Zach Ertz was still on that team? Yeah, there, there's a, yeah, there was a lot of good players on that team. Because I saw... I've seen Stanford that game. I saw them blow out UCLA a couple different times. Um, I saw Stanford... I saw Stanford lose to USC in that famous upset back in 2013 at the Coliseum where the students rushed the field. Was that 2013 or was that 2014? Uh, I and the do student, not remember. the students rushed the field. But yeah. Was that Coach O? Was that Coach yes, O? Yes, that was Coach O. Yeah, that was 20... I think that had to be 2014 then. Yeah, that was probably 2014. But yeah, seen, seen some fun Stanford teams and some, some one fun Stanford loss. Uh... Before we go and before we do a little bit of predictions for this week, um, the Atlantic aggregate rankings came out, uh, well, and the coastal ones came out for uh, the blog. All of us, there were seven of us in total, uh, logged some votes. Everybody differed quite a bit on the Atlantic. The coastal was a little bit more, uh, I think, clean cut. Um, Dan, anything surprised you here? I know you were high on the Wolfpack and nobody else was. Yeah, I surprised myself. I went through and, like, did every matchup out. And just, like, really quick, I didn't spend that much time on it. But, like, we had spent time kind of kind of poo-pooing Wolfpack. And then when I actually, like, went through all the matchups, I ended up with them finishing second in the division, which is definitely not what I thought I would ha- have. I just kind of assumed there would be a couple bumps in the road for Florida State. And I just liked enough about NC State com- compared. And I just like how their schedule worked out, I guess. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I guess for like weeks we had kind of trapped on them and everyone else pitted against them and they ended up I guess last and then I uh, I was the weird uh, the weird outlier. Yeah, I mean I picked them last, but I also like as I told you I have the last four teams all at six and six, and I think I have all of them at six and six and three and five in conference. I think I had everyone. I don't have the things in front of me because I don't think I saved them, but uh, I believe I had. Everyone, I, I had the final four or five, three. The the three ahead of the last one, I had Louisville. I think I think I had Louisville last at five and seven, and then I had us Wake and BC all sits and six. But I had uh, us below the other two based on tiebreakers. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, I had I had Louisville third. I said they would go four and four. And then, yeah, I had the other four tied at, at six and six and three and five. But um, like I said, Coastal a little bit more clean cut. Um, everybody pretty much went with Miami, Virginia Tech. I think there was like one Georgia Tech vote for second, like one Duke vote. But that one was a little more. I feel like nobody knew what the hell to do with the last three teams, though. I feel like Pitt, UNC, Virginia. Um, I have Virginia fifth. A lot of other people had them last. Um, I believe I had them last. I think I had. I think I had UNC, Pitt, Virginia, but I could be wrong. I had, those three were in the bottom for me, and then I believe I had kind of what everyone else had to start uh, the one through four. I mean, really, you could pick those those bottom three in any order. Um, they might all finish tied to be because they're. All of them have it's, like fatal it's flaws. It's all possible. It's w- w- one day we're going to end up with all of them at four and four, and then the conference is going to just go. Yeah, you know what? You guys are right. Divisions are bad. <laughs> I think some big that that'll cause some big uh, some big like puzzle in Charlotte to like un un unscramble itself, and we will learn the secrets of the universe. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna find a map on the back of a Bojangles menu. To... <laughs> <laughs> leading us to salvation. <laughs> leading us to salvation. Uh, anyway, uh, all right. Predictions for this game uh, before we go, Dan. Um, I know we both said we see a Syracuse win. Uh, how do you see this one playing out? Um, I'm going to go the classic Syracuse close first half, separate in the third quarter, and then Western Michigan closes the gap a little bit. But I, I think it took us by 10 last week, and I'll stick with that. So I'll, I'll go uh, Syracuse. I'll go 34-24. All right. I, uh, yeah, I think SU's defense looks a little shaky at the beginning. I think they lock things down by the third quarter. I think SU's offense is slow to start again because that's kind of what we do in openers, even in the Dino Bayers era. I see us pulling this one out. Give me 37-27 in a win that those of us that are, that are realistic about the team say, yeah, whatever, this is fine. And those who are not uh, already start getting like super angry about the fact that we beat a good F, you know, group of five team by 10 on the road with our, our former offensive coordinator and numerous coaches who know our roster. And, and like, a team that's recruited really well for its, for its slot in life. Yeah, for, like, I mean, yeah, Western Michigan's been one of the top two MAC recruiting teams for the last, like, five years. Including this past year under Luster, which is good for him. Like, that's impressive. Like, legitimately impressive. Very. I feel like Moreland was a pretty good recruiter when he was with us. Yeah, he was only here for like a year. He was one of the later additions to that that uh, that coaching staff. We brought him in from Air Force, but yep. he definitely uh, did some work, and he's been at Western Michigan before, so they definitely know what they're. I mean, a lot of these guys have Mac experience, as we as we know, so it it, it makes sense for them to land there. Oh, oh we know they have Mac experience. <laughs> <laughs> no secret here. Fair. Anyway, uh, that, was, that was such a backhanded compliment <laughs> that I gave completely unintentionally. Oh God. Uh, anyway, yeah. After a uh, after a long summer run of uh, of marathon pods, I think it's uh, it's only fair that we give people a couple minutes short of an hour on this one. Next week, we'll obviously have a lot more to talk about since we'll be both reviewing the Western Michigan game and then uh, prepping for the Wagner game, which is the home opener. Uh, SU finally got wise to the fact that nobody shows up to the home opener on Labor Day weekend because nobody at SU in the SU area has any desire to really be in be on campus that, that entire weekend. 
and it's the the state fair. Like it just only makes sense. There was no one ever there for those openers. Open on the road. Give us a and 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 help backload the home slate. Like it just makes so much sense for Syracuse. <laughs> Which instead we decided not to backload the home slate, though. We decided to overload well, the home slate. Well, we only have so much control of the ACC. I know. But it just we can control where we who we open with. But if it's not an ACC game, open on the road if we can. It's always better. Good weather. Let the Syracuse people enjoy the good weather that isn't in the dome, and also the state fair is a thing. So it just always makes sense. It's it's a smart thing to do for us. It's a weird scheduling thing, but but we are Syracuse, and we need to adjust to that. Too too true. Well, Dan, uh, it's been a pleasure as always. I know uh, a little bit earlier in the week than normal, but this might be what we go with through the season, just so we get out ahead of things a little bit more and more people can listen. Uh, we'll see. I'm excited for this week, and uh, it's game week again. I'm. I'm stunned we're here, but yet we are. Hopefully, uh, hopefully everyone enjoys watching the game this weekend. Dan, any uh, any parting thoughts? No, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm uh, I'm I'm gonna be nervous. I'm sure all day Friday, and then hopefully we we can put put forth a, a good effort and and ride into week two with uh, a win under our belts and some some good happy thoughts and very few injuries. Same. You you actually get the luxury of putting a full day's work in. For me, th- th- this thing is coming before the work day is even over. So I am I'm, I'm gonna have to squeeze things. <laughs> Yeah, it's a 6 p.m. Eastern tip, though, and I finish work work at 6 p.m., so I'm probably just going to watch at the office, which is not, like, the best possible place, but there's no real time for me to get anywhere else, so. True. Well, half time. You can go to, I'm sure there's some bars nearby. There's a lot of bars nearby. I don't know how easily they'll get CBS Sports Network, but uh, <laughs> hopefully it's not too bad of an issue. True, true. Um, all right. That was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And go Orange. Go Orange. With 25% off all new and up to 70% off previously leased furnishings, do you really need a better reason to party? We don't think so. Come visit our new Court Furniture Clearance Center with more than 9,000 square feet of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home and office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. Free food, prizes, and fun all weekend long at our Chantilly Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.